Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Steve. I'm Erica. And I'm Sarah. So, friends, we are in the Easter tide season, those 50 days that we celebrate between Easter Sunday and Pentecost. And one of the big themes of Easter is the life giving resurrection of Jesus. And so, we're spending this season talking about ways that Jesus gives life. Um, we talked last week about the obvious, the resurrection of Jesus, giving resurrection to all of humanity who believe in him and, and the new creation and other biblical forms of how we see Jesus giving life to people through healing. Um, so where are we taking things this week, Sarah? So it's it's so often when we think about the question, what gives us life? I think first we kind of take a look at what takes away life like what drains mm-hmm. us what um in whatever way you want to take that but what drains us and then we then have the answer of like what gives life like those they, they seem to be polar opposites and so what we're going to talk about today is congregational sprinting versus running a marathon and what i mean by that is in the early days of christianity so jesus you know, died and was resurrected and then eventually ascended into heaven. And the early church after that had Pentecost where the Holy Spirit descended upon all the disciples and they were energized and they went out and did God's work in the world. And for the first like century or so, it was a sprint. They were running as hard and as fast as they could to spread the good news. And they were just constantly going, 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 going until eventually they kind of was like, whoa, hold on. Like I'm exhausted and Jesus is still not back yet. I kind of thought he would be back by now, but he's not. And people are starting to die. And we weren't expecting that because we thought Jesus was going to be back in like less than a year. And here it is like 20 years later, like what is that happening? And so the the church had to shift dynamics from sprinting all the time to thinking of ministry as a marathon. You have to pace yourself. You have to take time to stop and take a drink of water and then continue on. Um, And so in that shift, we see things like the gospels being written, the Paul's letters being collected, all of these things kind of start materializing because they're realizing that hey, all of these people who were here who knew Jesus in person, they might not be around for much longer. We need to record their stories so that those can guide us and teach us and lead us while we're waiting for Jesus to return because we don't know when that's going to happen. And so it is. So that's what we're going to talk about today is that there are times in ministry where we are sprinting, but there are a lot of times when it really needs to be more of a marathon mentality. I really appreciate the way you you framed that, Sarah, because I I think you helpfully pointed out um, not only just the truth of 
how our, our story as church began, but an important difference that took place that was inevitable, right? And like, sometimes mm -hmm. you'll read in modern Christian literature, this sort of wistfulness about if only we could get back to the first century church, if only it could be like them. And there's times when I get that, sure, there's ways that there is a simplicity, but also there, you can't unring that bell. And at some point, there are things to make something move beyond a movement to become an institution. If it's going to live to another generation, you have to think about a change in, oh, we have to develop structure so that this can continue after the original 12 disciples of Jesus have all grown old and died. Um, and you're right that so often our our picture of the early church, the first century church, was nonstop movement, in part because the record we have, what we call the New Testament, the book of Acts and maybe the epistles and, and things like that, have this relentless, immediately this, and then they went there, and then they went there like it was nonstop stuff happening, because as you pointed out, Sarah, the early church not only believed that Jesus would return, but they assumed it would be any day in their lifetime, and so of course it's a full court press, we got to get the good news to everybody, every corner of the world, because that's what Jesus Jesus said, and it, at some point it became clear, oh, we're going to have to prepare for the, what if this takes longer than we thought, and that shift isn't, um, that's not a disappointment, or that that's not a, we failed Jesus, it's a, we shifted gears from sprint to marathon, that's, a, I think, a really important insight. Yeah, and I think that that's an important lesson for us all to internalize now, because I feel mm -hmm. like this past three years with you know, since COVID started almost a little over three years ago at the time of, that this episode's coming out, it was a sprint, right? For mm -hmm. so long, COVID was a sprint. It was um, like, I know in my household, we were balancing our jobs and childcare for months. Like the daycares weren't open. The preschool wasn't open. Um, the schools weren't open. So we were doing all of the things and being all of the things to our children and to our congregations who were desperately needing us to be there more than what we were pre-COVID. So it was um, suddenly like, oh, I didn't realize when I went into ministry that part of being a pastor was going to be all of this technical stuff. I didn't realize I was going mm -hmm. to have to know how to live stream and to video edit and to do all of those things. And that all took time. And so I don't know how many times I stayed up late editing worship videos because for quite a while, my congregations were pre-recording it and then releasing it on Sunday morning. We weren't doing it in real time, but pre-recording. And so like, there was a lot of stuff I was doing and it was exhausting. And talking to colleagues now, I know of one colleague in my area who sprinted so hard for so long that she just recently took a month long vacation and it was her first vacation since COVID started. And it's like, oh yeah, that's, that's hard. Like that, especially 2020, there was this feeling in the church for pastors that you can't take a vacation. Mm -hmm. And especially if you did take a vacation, where are you going to go? You're just going to be at home. So like your congregations felt like they could call you no matter what, because you're just going to be home, sitting at home, watching your kids like you normally are. Um, and so, yeah, COVID felt like a sprint. And now we're, it's been three years and we have to kind of relearn how to treat ministry as a marathon. And it's and to, not a sprint. And to do that in a way that both allows us 
it, it's going to feel in some moments like accelerating because when you're doing nothing and moving to doing something, that's growth. It feels like you're moving mm-hmm. again. And you can call that, yeah, that's life-giving because it's good. We were doing nothing and now we're moving and growing and thriving. That, those are good things. So our conversation here is not that it's terrible or death dealing for us, for our congregation to be doing things, but also how do we pace ourselves so that we can be prepared for the long haul witness so that we are we are here to not be a, a fire hose but like a you know a, a a gentle enough pressure to water the plants and not kill them <laughs> and i guess this might be a, a moment for us to stop and even ask a question of the new testament witness that it, again is so important to us but to say have we either projected onto it that breakneck pace and assumed because that's how we're used to reading things when maybe, of course, Luke writing Acts is only going to tell us the exciting days because if he said, and then for three months, nothing happened because they were just carrying out their food ministry and Peter would tell about mm-hmm. Jesus, like that doesn't make for riveting writing and he's only got so much parchment space on his scroll. Um, are we projecting onto the New Testament and then projecting onto ourselves? We've got to keep up a pace that we've imagined for them. And also maybe could we discover again that even if the new testament era church was breakneck pace everybody running frenetic you know frenetically that it's not faithful for us in this moment to keep that up that, that there may be points where we say the goal is not to duplicate what the first century church did that in this moment in this time in history would be unwise and unfaithful not good discipleship um and and I get again that's that's weird because we're so used to to be faithful you do what the Bible says and this might be a time to go well to be faithful is to do the kinds of things that Jesus commissioned his followers to do but at a pace that is right for our moments and our time which is different than the beginnings of that movement as it exploded out of Jerusalem. In a lot of ways, I think of the Bible in the same way that I think of social media. We see all of the good things that people are choosing to show us. Yeah, And so the New Testament writers, especially the ones who were recording what life was like in the early church, either when Jesus was there or after Jesus ascended, they aren't talking about like they're not telling us about, oh, yeah, we walked from point A to point B. But, hey, we took twice as long as we really needed to get from <laughs> right. point A to point right. B because uh, we kept stopping and chatting with people and staying with friends and um yeah, we didn't tell you about the time that we stopped at um, this guy's John's house and we stayed for three days and we drank all of his good wine and we just stopped mm-hmm. and sat around the fire pit drinking right. wine and it was great. Um, talking about how big his kids have gotten. Like, we're not getting those stories, right? We're right. getting telling stories. We're getting the, oh, remember that time that Jesus took like a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fish and then multiplied them and fed this giant crowd. We're getting those stories. Right. And those are important stories. I'm so glad we have them, but the Bible would be incredibly long if they had included all of those moments. We do get glimpses of Mm -hmm. Jesus taking time to rest or attempting to take time to rest because often (laughs) somebody's interrupting it. But we do get some of those. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, like they're not recording dates for us to be able to go, oh, hey, there's like three months where they didn't write about anything. I wonder mm-hmm. what was going on then. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not getting those. And that's because yeah. the, the Gospels were written years after they occurred. Right. And you'll get sometimes like a summary passage in a section of Acts where it'll be like, and Paul stayed there for two years. And like, 
okay, it makes sense that he's going to summarize, but like that's clearly a lot of space where where Luke, the narrator, doesn't think there's lots of individual stories to tell you. It's just, you know, life was normal. And for us to rediscover, oh, yeah, whatever the early church did, it wasn't really always nonstop, you know, going a thousand percent or a million miles an hour. There were some times where they were burst, but also to be okay with sometimes what it looked like to, to live the Jesus life and to give others life looked like the day in and day out routine of they would show up and they would gather around the word and around the meal of Jesus and they'd help each other out and take care of their neighbors. And maybe it didn't make the headlines, but it was life-giving for the people who were there. Because I think occasionally didn't Paul, it wasn't Paul bivocational. He would have to like mm-hmm. stop and yeah. work for a while to earn enough money to fund right. his next trip. Right. right. Like, and you get the sense that sometimes for Paul, that was also his way of not being uh, removed into only religious or only only Christian circles. Like, you know, he would meet ordinary everyday people. He could talk casually about Jesus while he's, you know, building their tent or working with leather or whatever, you know, that was. Um, and, and, and yeah, it looked like ordinary everyday stuff. It wasn't all preaching powerful sermons and having uh, revival experiences. It was, yeah, regular conversations with ordinary people that sometimes didn't look very dramatic. I guess there's a piece of me, and this comes back to the phrase that you introduced our series with, Sarah, about Jesus giving life. And when I think about um, what it looks like to watch things come to life, like at this point in the spring, I watch moment by moment incrementally as the flowers are poking their heads up out of the ground. You know, like as we're recording, there are green stalks that I know are daffodils because I've seen them you know, in, the, in our yard before, but you can't tell that they are yet. But day by day, I'm, you know, it, you, you don't notice the growth moment by moment. If I'd come back in two weeks after being away for a while, then I'd see impressive growth. But like it's slow and it's... um methodical and it's deliberate and it's that slowness is what allows the plant to grow without you know exploding you know like uh even in in human bodies when growth goes berserk that's cancer when growth happens at a at a measurable manageable pace that's how our bodies are are meant to function that that's what life-giving looks like but so often we talk about life-giving should be like a spectacle and maybe maybe we've foisted that upon ourselves that jesus didn't intend to I also think that in our conversation about congregational sprinting versus marathon and what gives life is the acknowledgement that not everything that the church does gives life Mm. and that some Mm -hmm. of those things need to die Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. because I feel like we're at a point in in, in the mainline denomination where we just aren't seeing the numbers in our churches that we did 50 years ago and 50 years ago the numbers of like congregation a that many members could support these 10 different ministries you know yeah. there's a there's a couple of feeding programs there's a couple of educational programs there's a couple of social programs a couple of outreach programs and now we don't have those numbers but we're still trying to do all 10 of those ministries that have been around forever mm-hmm. and ever and ever And one of the things that I loved about COVID was it made a lot of congregations stop and look at what ministries do we have and what ministries are worth continuing and what ministries need to stop. 
And by stopping some of those ministries, we are able to give more energy into the ministries that remain. Um, so I know that from the congregation I'm currently serving, they went from full-time to part-time with the, with calling me and they made those decisions while in COVID and they had a really great bridge pastor who helped them identify, all right, you can't do all of the things anymore. You just can't, you don't mm -hmm. have that many people. Your pastor's not going to be able to keep up with those kind of things. What are you passionate about? Let's identify where your passions are and let's keep those things. Everything else, let's set aside. And if you find that you really, really miss something in a couple of years, then you can try picking it back up, but you might have to put something else down. Mm -hmm. um, and so it really helped them identify these are our passions. It's three things. We don't have to do all 10 things. Let's focus on these three things. And by doing that, by laying down some ministries, they were able to give new life to those ministries that they kept. Yeah. In a way, it feels to me like um, if you would measure the way a car is accelerating when the light goes from red to green, at first there's this huge burst of increase. You know, like if you were going to chart it, man, that that's a huge, huge increase. But like the goal is not to infinitely increase your speed. At some point you get to cruising speed and that's how most of your journey is. And at that point, the acceleration slows down and you maintain a constant speed until the stop sign or the you get to where you're going. Right. And like for us to recover a sense of like, that that's a part of what it is to be um the the community called church is we, we aren't called to go back to that initial uh burst so much as how do how do we keep things going and yeah from time to time that's going to mean letting go of things that aren't doing what they're supposed to so that we can focus on where we do want to spend our energy that's such a, a helpful idea but don't you find that there are seasons in the church and i'm not talking like covid seasons i'm talking just like church year seasons where it seems like everything is at a sprint pace versus a marathon pace. Like we just came out of Lent. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I know in, in my context, there have been so many more things happening and I've only been here, you know, I, I got here last July. I've been here still less than a year. And like this Lenten season has just been so full mm -hmm. of so many things. And now that we're into Easter, you know, we're getting into Easter tide, we're going into summer, like, it feels like things just slow down almost instantly. And and how do you balance those two things? Sure. Well, and I guess I, I'd say, too, like, there becomes the challenge of how you trade one busy for another and how you find sanity in the midst of all that. Like, I, I found in the context where I am that the kind of busyness that occupies my schedule in Lent, which often means additional church services mm -hmm. and planning and things like that, um, changes. And when we get into summer, there's all sorts of um, like church property projects and things like, so it changes. Uh, and if I'm smart, I'm using that time to get ready for when things get busy again in the fall with a new program year. Um, and in some ways, that's the season that I find most life-giving to borrow a phrase because it lets me be the most creative because other things do kind of settle down and it's a chance okay there's not a million things pressing with a short deadline how can i be and for me like 
that time that otherwise could feel like stiflingly slow, it feels like, oh, there's enough breathing space there to be creative. And could we try something because the expectations are lower in the summer of, yeah, we're not as busy. So yeah, try something. But like that also becomes, that can become a, a danger of like, now you have to be running at full tilt all the time, 12 months a year. So like that, that mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's precarious. I kind of think that the whole different church seasons and different seasons of the church are either busier or less busy is a lie we tell ourselves, or maybe it's a lie I just tell myself and I've just recently stopped believing because I, I think that you're right in the sense that yes, there's more worship services in Lent, but like, I find that so much of the stuff that happens in Lent that's not related to worship often gets deferred until after Easter. And then so mm -hmm. Easter tide I'm finding is all of the work that I defer <laughs> until after Lent. And so Easter tide is so incredibly busy for me because I have so many meetings scheduled that they were all like, oh yeah, let's plan to meet after Easter. And right. so now Easter tide mm -hmm. is all of that deferred work. And right. then Easter tide ends. I'm done with all of those meetings. Summer is like, a preparatory time of like let's yep. plan out all of confirmation let's plan all of sunday school so there's all those meetings and all of those projects and then fall programming starts like i have found in my own ministry and maybe this is just how i do time management myself that all of it is just incredibly busy mm -hmm. it's just busy in different ways yeah yeah I guess if, if there's a, a a word of hope or of learning in that for me, it's like that that tells me if I'm always just sort of looking down further down the road on the calendar, it'll get better. That may or may not be true. You might get a lighter week somewhere down the road, whether you plan it or it just happens. But that it's wiser for me as individual pastor and for us as congregations and, and communities to look for intentional like moments to catch our breath. Like if we're using that metaphor of the change from sprint to marathon, that means how do we intentionally pace ourselves and say, okay, this is going to be a busy season with church services and then a different busy will come. How do we catch our breath collectively uh, and have a pause where it's just normal? I mean, and again, it may just be a little bit of a chance to catch your breath because um, the marathon is still going on, but to be able to do that, that's what makes it sustainable rather than I'm going to collapse I guess that's the other thing that maybe is worth us naming about the marathon metaphor is isn't historically in the in the myth of the origin of the marathon the person who first ran one died because it was too far <laughs> that you know the in the the running from uh, the town of Marathon to Athens or whatever like that to announce and you know this myth about he <laughs> runs from the town of oh okay well the myth is uh, I guess he was running to bring news of the battle from I think to Athens from the town of Marathon and Marathon to Athens something like that and it's twenty six point two miles which is why that's the length of the marathon and after running that whole way he died um and like now people can train for it and you can prepare for a marathon and plenty of people run even farther than that but it requires that planning and how do you train yourself to do the long distance run and to be able to pace yourself in it and if you go into a marathon without any preparation yes you will die <laughs> um mm -hmm. but like how do we how do we build that approach and like how do we do this for the long haul and maybe, maybe the marathon is the wrong image. 
Okay. Maybe this is a relay race. Sure. And mm-hmm. and maybe even it's like, you know that old line that if you want um uh if you want something growing tomorrow, grass is what you'll get. If you want an oak tree, you gotta wait a hundred years. That like we gotta think have a sense of the longevity of if there's something worth doing, it's worth the time that it will take uh to let things grow and simmer, even if that doesn't mean immediate impressive results right away. And so if we are a part of something that has been being grown by Jesus followers through 2000 years, that's a long time. And instead of we got to have results tomorrow, so move, 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 we got to be willing to do slow work. Sometimes it will mean that we do things that we don't get to see the fruits of in the time we're Mm -hmm. there in a community, or it will be just emerging and we are, you know, moved to somewhere else or life takes us somewhere else. Sometimes you plant seeds and decades later the fruit bears. But like if we've got that kind of view of history now, that allows us to have that permission of it doesn't always have to be fast. That's how you get grass. But if you want an oak tree, you got to wait a while. And we live in a culture now that's so, you know, time oriented. We need everything immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I microwave kind of yeah. started that. I think in a lot of ways, like you know, you it take it took hours to cook food, and now it takes seconds. Yeah, uh, and and everything just keeps getting faster and faster. Our internet gets faster and faster, um, and it, we get frustrated when download speeds are slow or whatever. <laughs> right. Um, you know, and, and and we expect the church to be the same way that everything right. has that immediate response. Right. And something I have learned in ministry is that something that gives me life is doing things that do have that immediate response because so much of what I do as a pastor does right. not. Right, right. You know, so cleaning my house or I don't mow the lawn currently because I've got like four acres up here and I have a groundskeeper who does that. Um, but, you know, doing things that I see that in, that I start and I finish to them yeah. helps bring life because, again, so much of what I do in ministry, I might eventually see that finish line, mm-hmm. but it is truly a marathon or a hundred mile race yeah. that it's not going to happen today, this month, this year. There's a line of um, the 20th century French theologian, Pierre Tehard de Chardin that sticks in my mind. He says, above all trust in the slow work of God. And I love mm-hmm. that, that notion of like being able to not only give ourselves permission to be slow at things and not see that as failure, but to see that that's sometimes God's preferred method or, or timetable. Um, and while, yeah, there are sometimes urgent moments, the, you know, stone rolled away on Easter morning is a sudden jarring event, but an awful lot of our story is that slow growth of watching the sprout stick out of the ground. And it takes weeks and weeks and weeks of patient watering Mm -hmm. and it becomes a sunflower or an oak tree or whatever. I think that that quote reminds me that occasionally I have to remind myself that this isn't an emergency. Mm-hmm. Like so often, I think especially with how email and text messaging and cell phones have yeah. made it that we're always available, always right now, like that a lot of times it feels like, oh, I have to answer this email that came in right now. And yeah. I have to kind of just go, no, this isn't an emergency, <laughs> even right. if it feels urgent, mm-hmm. right? this right, isn't right. an emergency and I don't have to respond right now. I can take a deep breath 
I can think through my response and I can respond tomorrow or even the day after like yeah. the good email etiquette. You don't want to wait too long, but like, <laughs> yeah. it, it's mm-hmm. not like, I feel oftentimes in ministry and any sort of part of our lives that, that feeling of, I need to respond right now. It's an emergency. It's urgent. We don't respond our best when we feel that kind of pressure and everything doesn't have to be right now. Yeah, I've gotten myself into the bad habits there of being that immediate responder to emails, to calls, to text messages. I've gotten a couple phone calls just in the time that we've been recording today. And I'm like, do I, you know, I put myself on mute or do I, and I'm like, no, it, it can wait. And because I have created that for myself, then I start feeling bad when I do make people wait because I've gotten used to me yeah. responding rather quickly to them. Right. Um, and, and it's not even that I necessarily think of it as an emergency. It's just kind of who I am. If I don't respond to it now, especially a text message, right. if I don't respond to it now, it gets lost and buried. Where like right. an email, I can mark it as unread. So then it's still right. posted there. Like, okay, yes, I need to respond to it. Or I can flag it. Or I can do whatever to be like, okay, that's a reminder. I need to get back to that person. Yeah. Um, and yeah, at, it's something I've been trying to get better at. Um, and I'm not very good at doing that. I, I am I an immediate a, responder. <laughs> I have a colleague who has it in his email signature that he responds to emails on these days, once in the morning and once in the afternoon. Mm. And so then it's very much like in his email signature, it just says like, I respond to emails Monday through, I don't, I think it's Friday, Monday through Friday, once in the morning, once in the afternoon. And so like, it's very clear of like, if you email him on the weekend, he's not going to respond to it until Monday morning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and I kind of love that. Not enough to put it in my own email signature. (laughs) (laughs) There's a piece of me that also like thinks about, again, this unspoken part about what we have in the New Testament, that even at Paul's most urgent, when he's writing a letter, it took a long time for him to not only mm-hmm. write, and again, we're used to, because you can read it at a pretty good clip, assuming that Paul wrote it at a pretty good clip, but there's organization and structure in Paul's letters, even in his most slapdash letters that suggest he took the time to think out what he was going to say, even if he's dictating to a scribe. Paul's got to think this out, and he takes the time to be deliberate, and then once it's written, it's maybe weeks, maybe months for it to be hand delivered by someone who's carrying the letter, maybe getting on a boat, maybe going on a horse, maybe walking to wherever it's going to go. That Mm -hmm. sure, it's a big deal when Paul's letter would arrive in Rome or Corinth or take your pick. But that's the product of a very long process of simmering and thinking, sometimes even longer if the letter suggests that Paul's done some correspondence back and forth in between. And sometimes you get the sense he started the letter, received something from them in the middle of his letter, and then continues on writing. Like, again, there's that witness there in the New Testament, but we aren't maybe we're not going to find it if we're not looking for it or we won't realize that it's been there all along because we're used to it was boom, 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 boom. And therefore we have to be boom, 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 boom. When maybe they were okay with being their own pace too. And that gives us that permission as well. And it's not just correspondence in the new Testament. I mean, you know, just Jesus going from Galilee to (laughs) you know, uh, Judea, or right. Right. It, it 
took a couple days. Right. We Especially read it as if you one didn't sentence. Walk through Samaria, like you right. know, right. if you walk around Samaria, it's going to take you a couple days. If you go through Samaria, it might take you a day. But still, it's not like it's not right. like you jump in the car right. and you can drive fifty miles in an hour. Right. You know? Right. And that awareness that it's often like in our lives today, in that downtime when it doesn't look like you're doing anything, but really good conversations or really important mm-hmm. formative kind of things happen. So to give us, give ourselves that not only permission, but see, oh my goodness, the scriptures were maybe giving us, they thought they were giving us that permission as well. We just removed it because we read the sentence, Jesus went from Judea to Samaria and that took one sentence. It must've been five minutes. No, that was a day. Mm-hmm. And there was a whole bunch of conversation. They didn't walk in silence, you dummy. So like, yeah, they talked and they thought and they wrestled. <laughs> and they prayed and all that like while they're walking and we don't have a record of it but yeah that was a part of it and mm-hmm. just letting things steep that that's that's an important piece of how things grow i guess one of my one of our favorite dinner conversations at my house right now is what was your favorite part of the day mm-hmm. or like sometimes the week or if yeah. we're on a trip to go see my parents or whomever what's been your favorite part of this trip like those yeah. are the kind of conversations we often start yeah um but like, it's, I want to ask that question of the disciples. Mm-hmm. What was your favorite part of the last however many years with Jesus? Like, what was your favorite thing? And I would be so curious as to how many of them say one of those big events, like feeding of the 5,000, healing this person or that person. And how many of them would say, it was those times that it was just the 13 of us <laughs> and we were traveling and we wow. had stopped for dinner and we were just gathered around mm-hmm. together or traveling together. Like how many of them would say those big things and mm-hmm. how many of them would say the little things that make up our lives and our relationships that right. aren't recorded in the new Testament. Right, right, mm-hmm. right, right, right. I guess all this conversation to me, suggests that what it means to ask the question, how does Jesus give us life in the 21st century, in some ways will look more like the New Testament than maybe realized because the New Testament did have space and breathing room and slow growth, even if we don't always recognize it. And there are some ways that our moment in history is just different. And we aren't the first generation to do this. So there's going to be some ways that our work is it's okay for it to be slower. That's the right thing for this moment. And so for Jesus to give mm-hmm. us life, isn't that initial burst of the sprout sticking up out of the ground, but the extra one inch that the oak tree grows this year, that maybe it isn't noticeable to the outside person, but makes the tree sturdy and strong. Maybe next time then we're going to need to spin this out and move beyond the metaphor or the institution of church and talk about for each of us individually uh, in whatever capacities we experience life, uh, in whether in the church as volunteers or in our ordinary careers and lives and families, how do we deal with the experience of burnout and how do we deal with Jesus giving us life in our day-to-day routines? So if that's a conversation you want to be a part of, we'll invite you to join us for next time here on Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all.